Well, good morning. How good to be together to sing His praise. And for me to be able to say, here's something we can bless the Lord for. The offering last week was awesome. I mean, it was tremendous. A couple weeks ago, we were talking about honoring God with our, with our money. And um, last week, I can tell that, that God's Word just had an impact in, in our church family. There was just a generous outpouring. In fact, the numbers in the bulletin don't quite get it all. There, there was giving well over or right around $100,000 this last week. So that like catches us up and puts us in this incredible position. And remember what we said, our, our kind of ridiculous goal, trusting God, is that every month of every year, starting this month of June, that our giving would exceed our budget. And I guess we're taking it seriously, so that's exciting. So praise God for that. All right, I want to tell you a story about a time I was in England. I was uh, standing right in front of Westminster Abbey. Any of you ever been to Westminster Abbey? Beautiful place. The traffic in, in London and crossing the streets in London is really a scary business. I, I don't know if you've ever been there, but you know it's scary when they start writing instructions of where to look on the sidewalk. I'm not kidding you. It, it always says there on the main intersections where there's a lot of problems. It says, look right. Because, you know, as Americans, traffic's on the right side of the street, so we're always trained to look left because that's where the car's coming from first where we normally cross the street. Well, in London, they drive on the opposite side of the street, so you need to look right. So I'm, I'm trying to remember that, right? So I'm there on the corner, on the intersection, and some of our friends are with us, and I'm, you know, leading the way here. And I'm surveying. I'm being careful, very careful. It's a confusing intersection. Cars are coming from all directions. And so I survey the situation. I'm going, okay, I think it's safe now. And so I look left. I'm not supposed to do that. You're supposed to look right, but I forgot. I look left, and I walk out, and all of a sudden, my friend John, he grabs me by the shirt and violently rips me back all in one saying, watch out! And right there, in a split second, a black London cabbie goes flying by my face. And I realized if I had seen what was going on, I would have seen my life pass in front of my eyes. But I didn't. But when I turned around and looked at my friends, I realized they saw my life pass in front of their eyes. (laughs) And they were both, all of them, they were just ashen white. I almost died right there. in A great place to die. I mean, they could have buried me right there in the old chapel. (laughs) Paul... God's word comes to us this morning with the same words. It's the, it's the words of a parent, isn't it? Be careful. Watch out. As you walk out in life. Reminds me of that classic book Robert Fulgham wrote. You've, you remember it. All I ever really need to know, I learned in kindergarten. He had some classic things there, right? You know, share. I, I like this one. Take naps. <laughs> I haven't learned that one very well, but take naps. And and then he says, when you get out in the world and and you find yourself having to, uh, you know, deal with the traffic, he says, hold hands. And the other thing he says is stick together. In fact, when you think about what we teach our kids now about crossing an intersection or, or a railroad track, kids, what do the teachers teach you? To stop. What's the next thing? To look. Oh, you guys just... And listen, right, before you walk. You know, it's really interesting. That's exactly the flow of this teaching in Ephesians chapter 5. So open your Bibles. 
And we're going to see that flow of stop, look, listen, and then walk. Now, we're in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. You can find that on page 829. And let me just kind of tell you where we're at. If you missed last week, we jumped back into our series of Ephesians. And we're at this place now in the book where we have taken our identity in Christ, and now we're living it out in life in mission for Christ. And it's this whole turning point in Ephesians 4.1, we're to walk in a manner that's worthy of our calling. And last week, we, we understood that we're to walk in love. And when we walk in love, we start to shine for Christ. And when we walk in love, we're no longer giving in to sinful desires, but we're constantly giving up ourselves for others. And the point of application in the first 14 verses was, don't participate with people who call themselves Christ followers, but continually give in to sinful desires. Don't participate with them. Now, in chapter 5, 15 through 21, he's going to give the positive of that. He's going to say, here's what I want you to do, though. You don't participate with them, but you participate, you partner with my spirit. Keep in step with the spirit. So he starts talking about stopping and looking in verses 15 and 16. So we read together, be very careful then how you live. That's literally the word walk in the original. Be very careful than how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Now, let me give you three reasons why we ought to be careful, very careful, how we're walking, how we're living our lives today. The first reason from the text is it matters to God. How we live our lives matters to God. We know that from the first part of chapter 5 when he says in verses 5 and 6, look, if you keep on living in rebellion against God and giving in to these sinful desires, you can expect no share in the inheritance of heaven. No share in the kingdom of God, of Christ and of God. And you can also expect that you will not escape God's judgment, his wrath. Hey, how we live matters to God. So it behooves us to be very careful literally to look carefully, search diligently, accurately, thoroughly how we are living our lives. But Ephesians 5 says it doesn't just matter to God. It actually matters to a watching world that our failure to live lives that are honoring to Christ and shining brightly for him has a huge impact on those around us. We're either going to be instruments that grace their lives and shine on them so that they're wakened up to the love and mercy of Christ or our lights will not be on at all and we'll have no impact on them. It matters not only to God, but it matters to others. And it matters to us, to ourselves, because what does he say? He says, the days are evil. And in times where the days are marked by the word evil, we need to be very clear of this that we stand in harm's way as we walk this earth. And so we need to be careful which path we've chosen. We need to be careful which direction we're heading in, where our feet are taking us. So that's the, the whole beginning here, is we're to stop and look. And he calls us to examine our own life, our own walk. Now, I don't know about you, I, I like looking at other people, like we were at the zoo in Milwaukee on Friday, 
It's fun to people watch. And, and we watch people and we observe them. But the interesting thing is very rarely do, do we ever really take time to look at how we're doing. I use my golf game. If I see you swing a golf club, I, I can tell you what's, doing, what's going right and what's going wrong. I, I can see it clearly when I see you swing a club. I don't have a clue how to fix my swing, though, because I can't see it. Maybe if I had a video of it, I could help my golf game. And, and oftentimes, we are not used to just examining our own walk. But that's what he calls us to. He doesn't cause a, call us to examine somebody else's walk, like your spouse's walk. He, he calls you to examine, he calls me to examine my own walk. And when he does, he says, how we do this is to reflect, is to stop and reflect. That's something we don't do very often. In fact, it's hard for most of us to get in the car and not turn on the radio or the CD or pick up our phone. Quiet is really hard in our culture. And yet it's in the context of quietness that we have an opportunity to reflect One of the things that I try to do, but I realize months go by before I've done it again, is to just take one hour a month and just be quiet before God and just ask the questions. God, how are we doing? How am I doing with you? And then just walking through the relationships with my wife. How's it going, my life? How's it going with my wife, with Lori? How's it going with the kids? How's it going with my extended family, my dad and my three sisters? How's it going with the people I work with? How's it going with the people that I live near, my neighbors? And, and in the quietness of reflection, it's powerful. God speaks and things become clear. We are called to stop and look. And when we look, we're looking at ourselves. And when we look, we are aided by reflection. We are aided by people that we've allowed to come into our life that would ask us the hard questions, who would speak the truth and love to us. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. We're aided by God's word that James 1.23 says is like a mirror, and it helps us to see God and in his reflection to see ourselves time to examine ourselves. But he says, not only are we to stop and look and examine our walk, but we're to make the most of every opportunity. Literally, we are to buy up or redeem the time. We're to examine the opportunities that are before us. And the opportunities that he's talking about here in chapter 5, opportunities to shine. So when Paul talks about the same ideas in Colossians chapter 3, Colossians 4, verses 3 through 6, he's talking about the same thing, to make the most out of of every opportunity as we live our lives before those who don't know Christ, that we'd be ready with an answer, a response that would shine truth and grace into their life. Think about this. Every day, God gives you a deposit, not of $86,400, but 86,400 seconds. Every day, he puts a new bank of it in your account. And every day, you can never spend more of it. Every day, what you don't spend is tossed aside. Here we go, investing our time. He says, seize the day. Seize every minute, every second of the day. Make the most of every opportunity to shine 
to shine for him. So this last week, I was talking to a friend, Ray. I was talking to Ray about how great of God to carpet even the forest with these beautiful flowers. We were out in the forest. And then we were having this conversation and we were talking about God's goodness and he made a, 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 just a side comment about, you know, sometimes God is good. Oh, there's an opportunity. And, and we have those opportunities. We have those opportunities throughout the day and we're to make the most of them. Here, here's something I thought about. How about this week? You, you just think about the things that are the time bandits in your life. Just to reflect on that. Well, what are the things that are gobbling up my life? They're not necessarily bad things. They may be good things that are keeping you from the better and the best things. Just think about that. And then to say, okay, this week, Lord, I'm going to take one hour. I'm going to set aside one hour, and I'm going to make the most of it. And I'm just going to think about that hour in relationship to people that I live near. Maybe it's a neighbor, a roommate, someone down the hall in your apartment building. And you're just going to say, God, I want to do something that's making the most of the opportunity. And I'm going to make an opportunity here. I'm going to spend an hour investing in that relationship. I don't know what it looks like. If it's coming over for root beer floats, if it's mowing their lawn because they're gone this week, if it's just sitting down and praying for them, or if it's watching their kids. I don't know what it is. But I can guarantee you this, as you invest that time in their lives, you will not necessarily know what the impact is, but you'll know what the impact is in your life you'll have a deep sense of satisfaction of doing something that's right and significant and important. And it's not just about you. And it's not just about putting your mind in neutral. So he says, we're to stop and look. Then he goes on in verse 17 through 21. He says, okay, now it's time to listen and then walk. So he says in verse 17, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. That's like reckless living, living a life that doesn't please God. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So the first thing he says is, I want you to listen. Now, there's two things you listen to when you're a kid crossing the street. When you're not with your mom, you're listening for oncoming traffic. When you're with your mom or your dad, you're listening for oncoming traffic. But more importantly, you're listening for them to say, okay, okay, it's time to go cross or take my hand. Here, when we think about listening, I'd like you to think about two things as it relates to what he's been teaching us, God has in this chapter. The first is... Listen to those empty voices. Remember what he says in verse 6? Don't be deceived by these empty voices that would cry out and say, hey, it's not really a big deal that you just give in to these sinful desires. Everybody's doing it. Hey, it's what you do when you're young and you're exploring and you're experimenting with life. You just do these things because, because that's what you do. Don't give in to those empty voices. So we listen to those. We hear them for what they truly are, empty, no truth, no chance of delivering the deepest longings that you're looking for in life. You listen for that, but you also are listening for God's word. Do you see that right in verse 17? Look at it again. Do not be foolish, 
but understand what the Lord's will is. Well, how do I do that? And so, some of you are saying, that's exactly where I am right now. I'm trying to figure out what God wants for my life. And we get so preoccupied with his individual specific plan for me that we forget God's individual specific plan for me has everything to do with his broader general plan for us. Revealed in this, his word. So for example, we can turn to a passage like 1 Thessalonians, Thessalonians 4, 3 and read this. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. That is that you should be holy, that you should be a person whose life is set apart for God that you should avoid sexual immorality, any sex outside of marriage. That's God's will, that you avoid that. Okay, you see that? Look in 5.18 of 1 Thessalonians. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is what? God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You go through the book of Ephesians, and we find out time and time again, we understand God's will as we understand God's word. So he says, after you stop, and examine, and look at your life. I want you to listen. I want you to listen to my voice. I want you to understand it, that you might follow it. And so what does he do in verse 18? He gives us an example of God's will. What is God's will? Not to be drunk with wine. That's God's will. And we say, why is he talking about getting drunk? Well, it's an example of giving in to a sinful desire. And it's the flip side of being filled with the Spirit. Just jot this down in your notes. Proverbs chapter 23, verses 29 through 35. There is this unbelievable description of the effects, the powerful effects of wine, of alcoholism. What, a, what an issue it is in our day. Do you realize 18 million people abuse alcohol in our country every day? This year... 100,000 people will die because of alcohol-related causes. Just about half of all the traffic fatalities are alcohol-related. It's a huge issue in our day. And he says, God's will is that we're not to be drunk with wine. Because when we're drunk, we're controlled by wine, by the alcohol, and we're actually out of control. So I think of the two girls who died up in Door County this last fall. One of them's parents are good friends. Dave, her dad, helped me build the cabin. And Amanda and Karen had driven down Interstate 42, not Interstate, Highway 42, from the tip of Door County at Gills Rock down to Sturgeon Bay time and time again. They've been down that stretch of road all their life. And if you and I were traveling down that road, we'd say it's a gentle turn in the road. Hardly have to adjust the wheel. But what happened that night when they were controlled by alcohols, they couldn't manage the turn. They went careening off the road. They hit a tree and their lives were snuffed out like that. The scripture says we're not to be controlled by alcohol. We are to be filled. We're to keep on being filled by the Spirit of God. And, and what we want to understand here is it's an, it's an ongoing commitment. It's an ongoing need that we have. And so it reminds me of Tony Campalo's story. Tony was speaking to students 
when I was in college, and he gave this wonderful story of a guy in church. And every, every week in church, this guy would, he'd cry out, fill me, Jesus, fill me, Jesus. And then one day after about, you know, 10 or 12 weeks of this, somebody in the back says, don't do it, Lord. He leaks. <laughs> now, the teaching of the scriptures is we leak. We're a lot more like a colander than we are a stockpot. All right. You can fill a stockpot, and you can be pretty sure it's going to stay in there. You can run the faucet through that colander for hours, and you know there ain't going to be nothing in that thing, is there? We leak. We need constantly be filled with the Spirit. And the voice here in the original language is passive. In other words, it's not something I do fundamentally. It's something that God does for me. And so how are we filled with the Spirit? Well, we ask for it. We ask for the Spirit's fullness. fullness. We, we say to, to the Lord, Lord Jesus, fill me with your Spirit so that out of the overflow of my life, the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits, the fruit of the Spirit, all nine of them, would start blooming on the tree of my life. would just start flowing and emanating from my life. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. All of that, I, I need that. I need the power of your spirit. I, I need his direction in my life. I, I need the spirit to convict me when I'm getting off the track and when I'm stepping out in traffic and just about ready to get run over. I, I need your spirit to confirm again that I belong to you. I need your spirit to protect me. I need your spirit to help me pray the right things. I need your spirit to help me understand what in the world I'm reading here in your word and how it comes to bear in my life. And so what he's asking us is to keep in step with the spirit. And when you go to Galatians chapter five, just turn back there. It's like two or three pages to the left of Ephesians five. It's the book immediately preceding Ephesians. Galatians chapter five. In my Bible, there's a heading at verse 16. It says, life by the spirit. And it talks about the fruit of the Spirit in verse 22, like I just mentioned. But look at verse 16. And here you'll see the connection to the Spirit and these sinful desires that we were talking about last week. So Paul writes in Galatians, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. See, that, that's the antidote here is keep in step with the Spirit. That's exactly what he says down in verse 25 then. So look at 25. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And so what he's teaching us here is, hey, we're not to be controlled by alcohol. We're to be controlled. We're to keep in step with the Spirit. We're to take hold of his hands like like a child does, or more likely, like a parent does of their children as they're crossing the busy intersection. We're to hold on tight. We're to keep on being filled by the Spirit. So how does that happen? Well, we said we ask for that. How does it happen? It happens through the Word of God. One of the things that we need to understand is the work of the Spirit is always working in tandem with the Word, and the Word and the Spirit can't be separated. In fact, in in the last chapter of the book of Ephesians, verse 12, I think it is, the Word of God is called the sword of the Spirit. It, It is God's gracious provision given us through the Spirit, as we take up the sword of the Spirit, using the Word of God to do battle as we fight the good fight of faith. And so how do I 
continually be filled with the Spirit. It's continually have my mind and heart immersed in the truth of God's Word. So look at Colossians chapter 3, because this is precisely the point Paul makes in Colossians 3. So that's the book to the right of Ephesians, verse 16. This is a parallel passage to what he's saying to his friends through the letter in Ephesus. And he says this in verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And so to be filled with the Spirit means to have the word of Christ dwelling richly in my mind and in my heart. And so as I'm filling my mind and having my mind renewed by the truth of God's word, I am understanding God's will. And as I'm understanding it and doing it, all of a sudden, you know what's happening? I'm being controlled by the Spirit, not by anything else, not by a sinful desire like alcohol. I'm being controlled by the Spirit. So the $100,000 question is, how do you know? That you, how do I know that I am a person who's controlled, who's keeping in step with the Spirit? And he says there's basically three things. When you go down to verse 18 and following, there's one main verb here, and it's it's the idea, keep on being filled. And then there's like five participles. These are things that are modifying. Things like, speaking and singing and making melody and thanking and submitting. And so you can just get it down to three things. How do you know that you're in step with the Spirit? Well, there's three questions. There's the joy question, there's the gratitude question, and there's the submission question. The joy question goes like this. A mark of a Spirit-filled person is that they speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. They sing and they make melody in their hearts to God. There's joyful praise. And so the question is, does joyful praise mark my life? Am I a joyful person or a joyless person? How do I know? Well, if you could do this, a good exercise would be to just play a tape recorder this week and record all your words. And then go back and listen. Make a column. Two columns. Joyful, joyless. Joyful, negative, critical, complaining. Uh, None of us do that. But, you know, whatever you have to put there. And then you just start tallying it up. Which side's going to have more checks? It says the mark of a spirit-filled person is joyful praise. And did you notice the interesting teaching? That when we sing to each other, I mean, when we sing, it's not just this way in our hearts to God. And that's what we normally think of. And so, I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I just like to close my eyes because it's easy to get distracted. I just want to focus in on Christ, worshiping God. And, and I love that. But the scripture tells us, actually, when we sing, we're doing this too. And when we do this and we enter into each other's lives, all of a sudden as we sing and we say, he lived, he died, He's alive today. Hey, we're affirming. These are the things that we believe. We believe these together. And I'm strengthened when I know you believe the same things. And I'm encouraged. And we're built up and made stronger as a people of God. You want to know your spirit-filled person? Are you a joyful person? Joyful praise is the first characteristic of a person who's full of Christ's spirit. The second is gratitude. 
Now, we remember gratitude last week. Remember the antidote to giving in to sinful desires in Romans chapter 5, verse 4? It's thanksgiving. It was a surprise, right? We didn't think of that. Focusing on God and what he's given us and what he's done keeps us off of the things we don't have and may want and desire. And he says that a person who's full of the Spirit is always giving thanks to God the Father in every... Are you kidding me? Always in everything? Yeah, that's what it says. I couldn't believe it this week when I was reading some of the scholars and they say, well, Paul's really just exaggerating. It's hyperbole. He doesn't really mean it because there's some really bad things that happen. You don't have to thank him for those. Well, let, let, me, let me tweak that a little bit. We believe the scripture teaches that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purposes, Romans 8, 28. It doesn't say all things are good. And the reason we can thank God in everything always is because we have a sovereign God who can take the worst things that ever happened to us and turn them into great blessings and surprises that we never would have received without the hard things. Gratitude. Does that mark your life? A thankful spirit? Then he goes to the last one. He says, spirit-filled person is submissive. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. When we submit to those God has placed over our lives and in our lives to care for us, we're actually doing it to Christ. And when we fail, we're not honoring Christ. Submission is such a misunderstood word. In our day, we immediately think, well, if you're submitting to someone, you're not equal. Jesus Christ is the epitome of a submissive person who was equal with God the Father but continually said, not my will but yours be done. He submitted himself to the Father's plan, to the Father's purposes, to the point of laying down his own life for you and for me. It's a beautiful word, not an ugly word. And rightly understood, it means that you and I willfully commit to live our lives in the proper order that God has laid out for us. Remember the theme verse of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10. What's God about? He's about bringing everything in heaven and on earth together under one head, under one leader. Who? Christ. The chaos of this world is because we want to be all running our own lives. And so we don't want to fall under God's leadership and we don't want to fall under anybody else's leadership we want to lead the mark of a spirit-filled person is not that it's the spirit of Christ that allows us to in grace and with joy in an act of our will to place ourselves under people's authority that God's placed over us for our good and this is kind of a hinge point in the book where he starts working that out in all kinds of relationships first at home He talks about the marriage relationship. Then he talks about the family relationship with kids and parents. Then he works it out in the workplace. Slaves and masters are equivalent of employees and employers. He works these concepts out. I remember what we said last week. We said a lot of us are like three-way light bulbs. When we come here, man, we shine. We're good, 150 bulb. When we're at the workplace, we're, we're okay, 100. At home, Uh, it's hard maybe 50 maybe not even 50 here's what I know about what he's going to teach us about a life that measures up at home is without the fullness of the spirit 
we're never going to do it. Man, we're never going to love our wives as Christ loved the church. And wives, you'll never willingly yield your life and respect your husband as Christ has called you to. Kids, you won't be in the right relationship with your parents, and parents, you won't be in the right relationship with your kids. It won't be right at work without the Spirit's enabling in our life, the Spirit's fullness. It will be impossible to do. In fact, you don't have to just look forward. You just look back and say, we're called to imitate God and walk this life of love, giving ourselves up for others, and we're not to give in to our sinful desires. In no way is it going to happen in our own strength, only through the fullness of the Spirit. And so, friends, stop and take a look at your own life and how you're walking. Listen to God's word this morning and step out in all of life keeping in step with his spirit. Let's pray. And so, Lord, this is our prayer that we would be a people whose lives are under the loving control of your spirit. Your spirit is the spirit of Christ who was full of the spirit and followed the spirit and brought you great honor. Lord, that's our desire. There isn't a one of us that doesn't know about giving in to these desires. Things are ruling our lives and ruining our lives. And, and we just, we, we need the power and the fullness of your spirit. Lord, we're looking for joy. We, we, we want to be a thankful person. We, we want to be a, a person who's found our place in this world. And we're content in that. And allowing you to be king and finding our place in your world, Lord, in a way that honors you and brings us peace. So I pray for myself and I pray for your people here. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to keep in step with your spirit and to shine brightly for you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.